Hey, this is the ghost of Jeff Buckley. You know me. I sang that song at the end of the first season of The O.C. Great wine. Delivered to your door from Drop. It's a wine delivery app. Everybody here wants Drop. Drop delivers lilac wine and other wines, too, to wherever you are in Zones 1 and 2 of London within the hour. It's so real, man. Next time you have a date, remember to say, Lover, you should come over. Maybe order a drop delivery so when you arrive, we have something to drink. And then I'll play you a song, and we'll make love, and I'll cry. Visit dropwine.co.uk to download the app, order some wine, then enter the promo code KITCHENONFIRE at the checkout to get £10 off your first order. Hallelujah. Please drink responsibly. In fact, be responsible in all walks of life. Particularly if you decide to take a swim in a fast-flowing river. Believe me, I know. But I basically washed them in the sink. <laughs> All of them, scrubbed them, and then put them soggy in the oven. Yeah, what do you think about do you, Would you like it a bit cosy in here? Lights dimmed. You've got a nice candle there. Got a candle burning. Flickering in there. Evening dim, although Which it's not dim because there's too many lights. As you BB said. very sweetly bought that candle as recompense for the stench created by <laughs> aforementioned kimchi. The uh, rustling noise in the background is uh, Mr. Moves just packing up. Ooh. Oh, phone call. Oh, Mrs. Moves, where are you? Come home. <laughs> Hello. I love you. It is, yes. Uh, oh, hi there. Two. He had a good one earlier. He was on the phone and said, uh, Can you just hang on one sec? I've just got a mouthful of celery and then <laughs> crunched it at great volume to finish it. And then uh, that was it. Uh, how are you, James? Uh, I've got a sore throat and my feet are wet and cold. Um, other than that, tip top. Tip top. Your feet must be cold. You have holes in the toes of your toes. I also chose today. See that moves. See a will. Um, chose today to wear my lovely blue socks that have a hot pink toes. Ooh. So it just looks through the holes in these shoes that I'm wearing hot pink. Socks. Misleading socks, I'd Misleading say. Misleading socks. Well, the, you see the your toes poking out the front of your trainers, and you think, oh, he's wearing hot pink socks, when in fact you're wearing navy blue. Nothing of the sort. Just stirring your tea with a ruler. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Good story. <laughs> uh, this week on the podcast, our guest is somebody that neither one of us has ever met before. Well, that was the case last week. Who was on last week? Jack Monroe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. But, you know, go I, on. I thought you said you'd met her. I didn't ever say that. Never oh. claimed to. All right. Um, so don't put words or thoughts in my mouth. Sorry. Um... Uh, yeah, John McLean. McLean. McLean, mate. Have you not seen Die Hard? Yeah, but it's spelt differently. Do you call it Die Hard or Die Hard? Die Hard. I call it Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. 
Die Harder. Die Did you say Bill Hartzier or Bill Hartzier? Um, yeah, from from the Beat Band or the Beta Band. If you're American, do you say yeah? Um, yeah, exciting times. Also, director of Slow West with Michael Fassbender, which is a good movie, a Western movie. Well, I'm curious now how he went from being in a edgy indie band to directing films because you could you could have taken that route yourself, Sam, but instead you're stuck with me. I kind of do you think what could have been um, a little bit. What would you have directed? What sort of flicks? I don't think I'd be a very good director. There's too many decisions need to be made. I'm better at sort of floating around, moaning about various mm. things. Attention to detail sort of necessary as well. Yeah, you? you'd like you'd be good at that because directing a lot of the time isn't doesn't seem. I mean, we'll ask John. Sort of he knows people better around. than we do. Yeah, but like no, 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 not that. But like yeah, attention to detail. You know, you would have problem with your set designer because <laughs> all the I'd be like <laughs> I'd be like Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah. Can you make lack of spatial yeah, awareness? I need a six-inch-tall Stonehenge. Um, but, but I would be interested to know how you know what what that's like. Let's I've, find I've never out. Met a film director before. In the meantime, what else can we you know shoot the breeze with? Uh, Fred Moran of Joe Beef fame loves the movie Notting Hill. Wow. Yeah. Did he talk about that on that podcast? He did, yeah. Okay. He likes bad movies, but he mentioned Notting Hill. How does that... Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, we keep talking about Notting Hill on this podcast, or I do anyway, and um, I thought that was cool, you know, hero. Speaking of heroes, I got back late the other night after my shift at Magpie in the kitchen to find my wife watching Four Weddings and a Funeral. Really? And um, Hugh Grant is really good in it. Hugh Grant's good in Notting Hill. I don't think he's that good in Notting Hill. I think he's really good in Four Weddings. Why is he not good in Notting Hill, though? I don't know. He's just a bit... <laughs> bumbling. Oh, I don't I'm sad. That, oh. that is not a landmine. He sidesteps in Four Weddings. No, but I think he... I think he... I don't know. I could be totally wrong here. I reckon he maybe got a bit lazy with Notting Hill. He's like, OK, great. I'm playing that role again. I can phone this one in. He's written that scene when um, he's waiting to get married to Duckface... And then Andy McDowell, a.k.a. the person who ruins that film, shows up. Uh, I mean, we could go into that as well. But um, as in why she's such a hateful character and why you'd make the sort of love interest such a hateful and just appalling human being. But anyway, um, and she turns up and divulges the fact that she is no longer with her husband, Hamish. And uh, he's unbelievable in that scene. Just yeah. he really expresses the mixed emotions. Well, of maybe the moment. I suppose maybe actually okay that the, um, maybe he sort of knew the power of his own myth. That's what I mean. Hill. Yeah, totally. So he sort of yeah, he could phone it in. That's literally what I just said. I know you did, but yeah. no, I was just get your own to, thoughts. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I was agreeing with you, um, <laughs> but but. That's like a shame, like, if you're Hugh Grant and your myth is, oh, I can phone in this, like, bumbling English floppy fringe shit, as opposed to, like, oh, I know the power of my own myth, I'm Arnie. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, Steve McQueen. Yeah. Or Marlon Brando. Saying, oh, what are you phoning in? I'm phoning in being, like, a mega baller. Or yeah. a really strong Austrian. <laughs> which one's which? Well, he, I'll leave that one to you. But also, she's saying that about Andy McDowell's character being a hateful American... Julia Roberts' character in Notting Hill is a bit of a hateful American. Not even close, but yeah. Yeah, yeah but so maybe Richard Curtis hates American women. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, discuss. Yeah. Let's cat not, meet let's pigeons. Not <laughs> Can meet opener. 
Meat revealed worms. worms. <laughs> What's new? Um, I don't know. Tell me about cooking. You've been cooking at Magpie. Been putting in a headband. I get abuse for the headband. I, as far as I'm concerned, health and safety comes first, Sam. Function absolutely yeah. comes before form. And you've got that big Hugh Grant floppy fringe. I've got the floppy fringe. Occasionally, a little rogue hair will find its way off my head into whatever's in front of me. So I wear a little headband to keep keep it's that in check. It's not little though, is it? But one of the no. Well, one's a sort of ninja headband, and then I <laughs> sort of kitchen ninja they call me. Down and then down. one, it was just like a, a handkerchief that I wore around my head. I'd say that you go for a wider headband than most. That's just the shape of my head. No, it's not. No, wide. Oh, what? Like th- uh, yeah, like it's a wide band. No, the, the one I was wearing the other night was very thin. Kept it thin. Because you can't really go much bigger than a sort of couple of inches, like Karate Kid style. Yeah. That's sort of that. But well, you, you want to keep as much... sometimes go for, oh, there might be a bit of my skull missing, yeah, and I fashion want, this well, you want to keep as much sort of, of your skull hair. tourniquet. Yeah, you want to keep as much of your hair in check as you can. Right. So. But anyway, moving on, the, co- the actual cooking, how was it? Great. I had um, a blast, I'm loved it. I'm in awe. Three shifts this weekend. Uh, just because our chefs we've got chefs away everyone's decided now's a great time to go on holiday so I'm stepping up enjoying it first time I've ever run a pass I'm, should I be embarrassed to say that maybe not no not at all um, I suppose I've never called myself a chef but um, yeah I mean in my head I was like the wheels I mean it wasn't a sort of massively busy night but I enjoyed it again like being a director ordering people around plating dishes which I like and then on the second night I was uh, sort of on pastry and hots and a bit of pass. It's, my, my thing is, in my head, oh, I know how a pass works. You know, read enough books, seen enough services. Did a ghost just walk in? Really sounded like someone yeah. had walked in, didn't it? But creepy. then I looked and there was no one there. That kind of freaked me out. Classic ticky off ghost <laughs> stories. Um, but yeah, so, you know, read enough, seen enough services. But I, if I was actually stood there, I wouldn't know what to do. Like what to say, when to say it. Yeah, and then you've got to reflect most chefs aren't that bright, so you figure it out pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It's more the... I mean, how it works is easy. It's more the, like, keeping on top of everything when it's when there's ten checks in. And then right. and then you're just about, like, okay, feel like the wheels are wobbling, but they're staying on. And then you just hear that printer, and then you hear it again, and then you're like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Ah, exciting time. I've got to say, I'm, I'm not just saying it, but um, it's... it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm quietly impressed with you, James. Don't be quiet. I'm impressed with the big from the rooftops. <laughs> impressed with your, with your abilities. Your, um, your Brunoise skills were of poor quality, though, weren't they? I thought I'd Brunoise the fuck out of that, and then Giuseppe was like, mm, "I'll show you." I was like, "Mate, you don't show me how to chop a shallot." Oh, you, you do need to show me. That's very good. Look uh, at that. Which was good actually, because then you know, you know, you don't see the some of the details. Obviously, you don't see not being in the kitchen mm. every day, but to realise, oh yeah, they do. They're not fucking around. They do a proper Brunoise. Yeah, you know. Not enough corners being cut, if you ask me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are we dicking around with that, mate? Why are you Why are you doing tostatura with lentils? You don't need to do that. Come on, don't waste my time or money. Um, um, did you do any cooking over the weekend? Of non? Yeah, you did. I did. Yeah. A little smug face. Just no, it's not a smug <laughs> face. It's just for, you asked me. I think a couple of weeks ago, like oh, I've cooked, and I was like, oh, I'm not really into cooking. Now you are. But I've got back. You got into your mojo cooking. back. I did, yeah. I felt like I did over the weekend. I've gone very classic. Okay. Um, so I, the aforementioned podcast, the Joe Rogan podcast with the guys from Joe Beef, Fred Moran and David McMillan, um, and he was just talking about some really old school dish, which is chicken cooked with sherry and morels and cream. 
And I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to cook that. That sounds delicious. Uh, no morale, so just chestnut mushrooms. But bought a bottle of sherry purely to cook with, because I know you're a fan of drinking it. I'm less so, but don't mind a bit of sherry. But... Um, <laughs> So I did. This is a great story. I'm yeah, enjoying it. Yeah, really great. Really painting um, a picture. So yeah, did that. That was delicious. Next day, did a uh, ribolita because my wife had seen you and I eating ribolita, and we were told when we ordered that ribolita in Lardo that it had pork shoulder in it, mm. but it didn't. Lied so, to. So I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm going to make a ribolita and I'll put pork osabuco in it. Just to sort of push it over the edge, and that was lovely. Where did you get pork osabuco from? From the supermarket. Huh. Um, yeah, cheap's chips. Nice. It was good. And then I did... Good bit of marrow in there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rich I, I, I have to say, I think it's a great idea, a mm. ribolita cum osobuco combo. Yeah. I mean, very untraditional, James. Very inauthentic. I don't know. I bet there are some nonnas out there who... Yeah, nonnas will put an osobuco in anything. Mm. Um, and then I... What was the other thing I did? Oh, I told you what it was, didn't I? No, I think you just told me about the morales. Oh, and I did a skirt steak. I did a. I think I did the. You always do skirt steak, though. It's some old school sauce. Sauce right? Ravigo. It's not not Ravigo and not Robert or Supreme. Or um, Oslo Cord. But it was uh, it was an old school sauce. Okay. Anyway, that was nice. And uh, um, and what something else? and a really like sort of traditional salad. Uh, on Dive and blue cheese and super old school and uh, anyway so we had all this rich food and sort of drank quite a lot and then Ab woke up one night and couldn't sleep and she was like we have to stop eating all this rich food with sherry in it because it probably gave us like three day gout or something three day gout yeah you know like gout in a very short but for three days time. did you have a sore toe no but yeah you know it was, it was just a phrase I wasn't saying I was medically accurate well I think you should try work on your accuracy. Maybe okay. maybe furry arteries for three days. Yeah, probably. I mean, it was quite. quite it doesn't have. It's it was quite. Pithy. It was quite hardcore. But yeah. then, so it's then the weather to... for it though. I mean, that second course of pigeon this week, the pie, the pompaison with uh, smoked potato skin foam, and then a, just fucking caviar butter. That's no joke. Yeah, that was good. Um, but yeah, so it all got a bit much. Then I made tomium on Sunday just to freshen it up. Freshen it up a little. Yeah, which was pretty good. Mm. So yeah, it, feel, it feels good to sort of have a bit of mojo back in the kitchen. I'm glad. Have you cooked? Anything? I've been missing your mojo. I'm sure you have. Well, wait. Um, have I cooked anything other than at Magpie? Um, don't know if I have turkey curry. <laughs> turkey curry. Yeah, there was some turkey in the freezer, cooked. It's like we're having Sunday night turkey curry. Absolutely love that. Love it. Love it to bits. Do you? Had it with a little roast butternut squash. Right. Which is not a combo, but there was some left <laughs> leftover rice butternut squash in the okay. fridge. It was a classic dish, <laughs> yeah. d- dinner that would annoy you because it was just using stuff up. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't think so. Rosie's been doing some cooking, been eating out a bit. Who knows? How's Who, um, how's Rosie's uh, thing? Do, I mean, you know, tell the listeners about your wife's oh uh, yeah escapades. So my wife Rosie. Has um, has set up a, th- a thing called Charcoal, which is a fortnightly-ish, although they're taking a little pause in December already. Seems a bit lazy. They only started a couple of weeks ago, but a uh, thing called Charcoal, which happens near Hackney Central in the Narrowway Studio, which is run by uh, food writer Anna Jones and I think uh, Emily Ezekiel and uh, someone else. I'm sorry to them. Um, and. Yeah, 15 or so people every other week turn up, you do an hour or so's life drawing, 
for those who don't know what live drawing is, you draw a naked dude or chick uh, with charcoal, hence the name. But also, there's food. So charcoal, of course, you can cook with charcoal, although Rosie doesn't because there's no ventilation or extract there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's misleading, it's dishonest. Um, and it's going really well. Fully booked for however many things they're doing and people are dicking it would you you'd be up for that no have you ever done life drawing no really no I, I'm rubbish at drawing yeah, but that's why you do it and you learn you get better yes. I don't know whether I'd learn learn by I'd doing i just be like there's a knob yeah I mean you, you do that for about a minute and then you finish your if, wank if you <laughs> if you and I went I'd just be going mate look at that knob yeah if you and I went or, yeah. or female you know Look at those boobs. Look at the boobies. Yeah. I'd probably bring a calculator and then do that thing where you can write boobies upside down. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could use your new measuring thing on your new phone. Measure the boobies. Yeah. Um, does it... My concern is, are they cooking in the same room? Uh, like a little hobby thing. She's sort of cooking most of it ahead and then just bringing it over. There's probably yeah, kitchen there. It, it's just, you've got to heat it, yeah. <coughs> it's just simple vegetarian fare. Yeah, yeah, fine. It's delicious, I'm sure. My concern is, like, it's a relatively warm room with 15 or so people in it and a naked person. You've got to have a warm room for the naked person. It's yeah, not fair, otherwise. But then you sort of got potentially the sort of, you know, some aromas. <laughs> of the naked person. And then you're sort of eating your sort of soup or whatever and with can, that... I don't know. It doesn't appeal to me. What do you think? <laughs> this is where I go to with it, all right? Not because I'm being... I'm not trying to be sniggery or anything. I'm not. But I'm just genuinely... You have to think about these things. Light a candle. Yep. I'm assuming the life model washes, but can't guarantee. Yeah, but it's not that. What I'm saying, the human body gives off sense. Yeah. Oh, hello. Hey, I've got John for Oh, ah. wow. Where are you based? Are you, ba- are you based down Elephant Castle Way? Yeah, that's where... Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a house there, but I'm just... My sort of studio is just in in a room in the house. Oh, right. So, yeah. So what are, what are you up to now at the moment? I'm uh, writing... I've finished my second feature script, writing it. Wow. So I'm in very loose pre-prep for it. Which involves what? Which involves... Have we started? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Casually that's how we just, yeah. That's, how we, uh, that's how we catch you, to say like, really yeah. horrific things. Um, it's a mixture of financing and then starting to gather cast and crew and deciding which locations to shoot and all that kind of thing. Right, so, yeah, so, the whole pre... What would you call it? Is that a pre-pre-production or is that sort It's of, kind of pre-pre-production because yeah. it's not... I think once you get the location at least, then you can go into full pre-production. <laughs> yeah. And um, are you... Are you not, is, is, do you consider yourself now full-time director or is... Um, I think a writer-director pretty much full-time. Yeah. Which... Because I, I... The reason we got John on today was because I saw on Instagram, I hadn't really seen you on Instagram before, mm. but then I think it was with the Beta Band exhibition. Ah, yeah. With all the artwork and everything, and um, my wife, which she wanted me to make very clear, is that we have every single flower press and everything. Oh, wow. Everything Beta Band from back in the day. So I yeah. saw that you were doing the exhibition and then sent you a message, but obviously that was back in the day. And then how long, how long ago was Slow West? Slow West... I think we shot it in 2013 
and then it came out in 2015. Yeah, because we shot it end of 2013, beginning of 2014, and I spent most of 2014 uh, in post. Right. Um, came out in 2015, and then there was lots of festivals and touring the world with it. And then 2016, I sort of started trying to figure out what to do next and right. started coming up with the story I've just finished. Which so, it's, so the script took between a year and a year and a half to write, but a little bit of fannying around <laughs> before that to sort of find the right story right. and sort of decide that I was going to write another film and not just sort of go to Hollywood and look at scripts and stuff. Yeah. And the, the, with doing the... Because obviously you're pushing on and doing the film stuff and obviously yeah. the, that sort of retrospective-y kind of thing with the Beta Band and with the um, three EPs coming out on vinyl and all that, was that sort of a bit of a thing stuck in the middle? <laughs> or or um, was it a nice It was prank? actually great timing because if it had come at a different time, then I wouldn't have been able to sort of work so much on helping out with the exhibition and but um what happened yeah the there was basically warner had the beta band catalog and they had to get rid of a lot of bands when they merged oh, or yeah, when yeah. they took over emi there was a kind of monopoly commission thing where they had to get rid of bands and we were one of the bands they got rid of because they couldn't keep parlophone or something was that it? something like that yeah, yeah. but um so we became so we were sort of pitched around to different companies I think Domino was interested and um, but because became interested and they they had the best pitch right. they they were kind of came in and understood that perhaps we'd want more of a retrospective around having an art show and having vinyl releases and yeah. you know so we made the right choice i think domino might have just reprinted something okay. or you know yeah. but they so they made a lot of effort and um remastered everything the whole catalog and so yeah it's been amazing working with because actually right and then um at the same time as yeah at the same time a few things happened i think there's a a show called rip it up in the national museum of scotland oh yeah they contacted me saying they're doing memorabilia of the history of Scottish music. And so I sort of took all my boxes out and photographed it all and sent to them. And they were like, oh my God, you've got yeah. <laughs> enough for your own show, sort of thing. Then I sort of Instagrammed them because I had the pictures. Then a gallery in North London contacted me saying, would you like to put a show on? So everything kind of worked out, actually. So the record company helped with the gallery with a bit of money to put the show on as promotion and um, there was some items went up to Scotland for this show which was yes yeah, a really good show actually um, and we did everything we could apart from all be in the same room together <laughs> right. I was going to say because are you, are you sort of the, the sort of nominated caretaker or is, or is, or is um, all of you guys are chipping in or I, I was the one that was always interested in the sort of visual memorabilia and stuff. So right. And Robin, to an extent, because we both went to art school together. So 
I knew that kind of the record designs and the, or even the sketches for the record designs were kind of as important yeah. to keep as everything. So um, I, me and Robin kept, I kept most of the stuff because I kind of archived as well and had these sketchbooks that I was archiving every ticket and every, yeah, yeah. which was in the show in Archway. And then, um, yeah, I thought one day someone would want to see this and they did so it was nice <laughs> but uh and how did it go down sort of with the public uh, good i think i think it was the only slightly frustrating thing was that i always thought it was it was art <laughs> and we tried to install it like an art show right um but it was still seen as kind of music memorabilia okay yeah. but apart but the actual so a lot of fans and stuff came to see it um were you, were you were you sort of uh, on show as it were yourself presenting uh, and discussing and curating or sort of any, hiding kind of I gave I gave all my stuff to someone else to curate because I think I couldn't tell what was interesting for other people and what was just the things I liked best right. so you need um, a sort of uh, impartial yeah so he did a great job curating it um, yeah I turned up at the opening and I sort of any time I was I was sort of asked to, I'd uh, go up there, talk about it. Was it because I mean, you guys? Are, I mean, I probably said this in the first message I sent to you because I was such a huge fan of your band, and um, from the very first band I was in when I was a kid, we were in school and we had this little sort of punky pop band or whatever. And uh, when we were, we had a, we got this development deal with Parlophone. Right. So they just threw us some money to buy instruments. Who was that then? When was that? It was a guy called Justin, but it was just before Champion Versions came out. Okay. Because he had a copy of Champion Versions, which he he gave me a vinyl copy of that. And that was before anybody was talking about you guys, Mm. you know, right early doors. Yeah. I remember being sat in the studio called The Manor in High Wycombe or somewhere weird like that and listening to this on fire being like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? And our music music changed quite quickly at that point slowed down quite a lot um, (laughs) but that was you know you guys had all of the the artwork and the video and the projections and and you know I think you guys definitely had that thing of building a world around the band you know obviously the music but then everything around that is sort of given a lot of weight and given a lot of importance which I think gets lost a lot coming from art school and it was kind of going against the grain at the time because I think definitely in Britain before we came along it was very much um, it wasn't really like that it was no, sort of full on Britpop and it was definitely. all very the designers do the yeah the stuff or the record companies do the artwork and the and yeah it was, it was and it was also like you, you guys had a sort of sense of humour which you know it wasn't po-faced which, <laughs> you know, yeah I know, sorry, I know, sorry to interrupt I know yeah. you get annoyed when people ask and what, what year was that? But what's the sort of rough uh, um, uh, chronology of, of the beta band? Oh, we were, um, I think we, 97, 96, 97. I graduated in 96. And as soon as I graduated, we kind of made the demo, I think, in 96. I was at the Royal College in London doing an MA. And, uh, yeah, it was... I was it was it was really weird because I never ever thought I'd be in a band <laughs> and it was kind of I lived with Robin who who ended up being the drummer and he was he was in London motorbike couriering and me and him just lived in this ramshackle flat in Shepherd's Bush that was really 
dilapidated. And uh, Steve was trying to... He was the only one really seriously trying to break into the music world. And he was a drummer in some a couple of different bands and suggested that we... Oh, yeah, he moved into our flat, or he came to stay for a week on the floor, but I ended up staying for about nine months. <laughs> and I had, I'd bought my sampler, because I was interested in sampling and DJing and hip-hop and all that kind of stuff. Robin had his drum kit set up in the bedroom, and then um, Steve came with his guitar and four-track. So we just started... We just made four songs, but we weren't a band. We just made four songs... And then we thought, what we're we going to do with this tape? And then we started giving it to... I think we printed 10 of them and gave them out. And then we got signed quite quickly. Uh, there was another guy, Gordon, the Lone Pigeon. Yeah. He was around at the time. And he uh, he was coming down, helping us out with the music, getting a little bit overwhelmed. He was sort of men- going through mental issues going back to Scotland and in the end we had to make the decision when we got signed to Parlophone can Gor- we asked Gordon can you handle it can you be yeah. and he couldn't he went back to Scotland so I think but then Steve had to make the decision will I front this you know and um, will I be the front man and we thought yeah let's go for it so four became three then we got a bass player and became four again because it was, I mean, when that first DP came out, I don't know, I'm sure, you know, from a you know, big sales point of view, it's not that or whatever, but with it pretty quickly on the EP, on the EPs before, obviously, they got put together. Yeah. I and mean, everyone was just, like, talking, because it was so different. I mean, I remember being a kid and coming out of, you know, loving Britpop bands and all of that. And then those years, sort of, 96, 97, when you had the sort of slightly more interesting stuff... Spirit, I remember getting into spiritualized at yeah. that time and you know the slightly more left field stuff and then you guys came out and it sounds so ridiculous to say it now because like, I have a 17 year old daughter and <laughs> she'll listen to anything yeah but at the time there was such it was so tribal oh yeah and the fact that yeah. then you guys came out and I remember God, it was amazing that you guys talked about hip-hop or Missy Elliott or something <laughs> and I remember that was fucking weird then yeah it, it was. was strange it and was it was really strange in America even more so it was so segregated as far as you liked hip hop or you liked indie Britpop and Radiohead yeah. and stuff. And there wasn't any kind of lines crossed, you mm. know, like blurring. Yeah. Apart from perhaps <clears throat> Beck, I think, was one of the other guys that we kind of felt was trying to use things like loops and samples kind of organically and mix with singer songwriter stuff. So yeah. I think Beck was definitely someone furrowing the same furrow (laughs) (laughs) and uh but apart from that i think it was more like our record collections were so eclectic it just brit pop seemed to be getting narrower 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 whereas you know you you would go and ask the favorite records of a brit pop guy and it'd be the same it'd be like everyone liked the beatles of velvet underground and that was about it (laughs) and uh yeah our drummer liked Santana and Yes and uh I liked Wu-Tang Clan and everything everything and how did you because obviously you were saying that Steve sort of had was more pursuing music and Mm. you had no 
that wasn't your sort of focus to go and do that. Yeah. But like for actually putting the songs together, like how did that work? I mean, in the very beginning, I had my sampler and Steve had his four tracks, so I would just loop my records, sort of obscure beats, and then Steve would sing on top of them on track two of the four track, right. and then Robin would drum on track track three, and they were put together really. I think the first EP, half of it is straight off the four track, right. like at least one and a half songs, half of B and A, and a lot of I know the whole thing of I know was four track. But for, Task and Fortrack did have a great sound. I think we tried to re-record some stuff in the studio and they, they weren't as good as the Fortrack stuff. demo whitest. <laughs> so, yeah, we should have put more of the Fortrack stuff on, on the first EP, but uh, I was talking about it because I never really looked back until I was talking on the radio and stuff a couple of weeks ago about the three EPs. And it did occur to me that the first EP was us just trying to work as a group like a sampler and a drum kit and then the second EP we had to play live so it was us trying to sort of get stuff together for live so you get the house song and, yeah. and inner meet me that were a bit more like worked live yeah and then the third EP we managed to get our hands on a big studio and a reverb unit. And a reverb plates and, you know, a percussion budget. Yeah. And we went to town. So so when I did listen to three EPs, that was it. It was like, try to be a band, then try to be a live band, then try to be a studio band. <laughs> yeah, we just sort of went with it. I don't think it was... It's funny because... Yeah, I did a Radio 6 thing and Mark, whatever his name is, said... Um, oh, I... At the time, I thought you guys were kind of like hippie round the campfire kind of beardy weirdy type you know and, yeah. and that was so weird because it was, our music may have sounded slightly like that but at the same time we were actually into sort of clubbing in the Stone Roses and <laughs> going to pubs and they're just like totally not that really yeah. the reason that yeah you know, and I don't want to dwell on it because I think it's been covered enough especially recently but you know when you guys when it finished and you know obviously spent a lot of money etc which is you know it's good fun money to spend <laughs> for sure yeah never but, we never finished because of any money thing or at least I think the idea of the debt started weighing on Steve right um because it's a sort of weird debt, isn't it? It's a Rec weird debt. A band debt is is yes. so amorphous and yeah. so floats around. And I don't mean to. This sounds relatively niche, I guess, for <laughs> being in bands and spent lots of record company money. But it, for me, anyway, I don't know. It didn't feel it's like just, it's not on me. It's like this weird blob that floats around. Yeah, and it can, and it's not true. It's not a true amount as well because it's not the amount that the record company's lost. Yeah, it's the amount that they've not made that you or them per record yeah which sounds confusing but it's sort of like a no one's oh, we were like a million in debt but no one had lost a million it was just mm. we needed we needed to you need to outsell that debt yes sort of seeing exactly right. so so when we when because picked us up they you know they wiped a, a chunk off it because it's sort of imaginary debt 
But I think I think we split. Up I like for imaginary other, debt. It's imaginary debt way amazing. better than the best real debt. We had real debt as well. Or that was probably <laughs> a better band. We had a bit of real debt as well because because of, of the imaginary debt, we didn't make any money. We had real debt. Yeah. So right. we had all, all our little personal debts. So um, when the band split up, uh, yeah, it was it was generally the overriding feeling was that it it would it had run its course and we didn't want to start pastiching or um ourselves and we kind of run out of ideas <laughs> maybe even as far as the four of us right. that dynamic could handle you know steve i'm sure would have plenty more ideas working with different people and then i had more ideas in film or you know but as far as the four of us were kind of like yeah that's that's it that'll do was that was that painful or was it quite um, natural break different members of the bands reacted differently I think for me and Robin it was it was totally fine I wanted to work with Gordon again so we formed another little band called Aliens just because I for years I just sort of thought that Gordon might have missed out and right. wanted to work with him again and um, and I wanted to pursue film and so it felt it felt completely fine. I think it was slightly tougher on our bass player that had sort of mortgage and a couple of kids and wife and sort of set up. And, you know, that was a bit of a shock for him. Um, and I think Steve had sort of lined himself up to smoothly move on to his <laughs> solo work. So. And, and obviously you don't have to answer this way. Well, yeah. Are you guys in touch now? or it's- um, I'm in touch with Steve when I have to be or, or when we meet up, we get on. But we don't reach out really much. Right. But we never... I don't even know if we ever would before the band or during the band even. I right. mean, this weird thing about being in a band is that a lot of the time it's not just the four of you, it's yeah. 10 of you in the studio or 20 of you on tour. So you kind of... The lines blur between best mates and kind of people you work with. Mm-hmm. So Steve, we had slightly more professional relationship than I had with Robin who was the best mate still is so uh, and Rich is a good friend but he's sort of lost touch with him just because he's busy in Portsmouth but we've not fallen out but the thought of going back and touring yeah because most people must be saying is not get the beat to back together it would never happen I think that's what they all say it's not that I know it's not that we it's not that we hate hate each other I just think it's that it's not it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be like. I don't think we'd have a great amount of fun. Right. How did you find um, touring and playing together back then? You know, because mm. it's obviously a pretty intense environment. Yeah, it was amazing. I loved. I loved. We loved touring America, and we loved. We did a Radiohead support that was amazing, and. Um, yeah, we had great times. I think when you're younger as well and back in the day where there was money tour budgets then it was sort of a lot of fun um i think now it's more difficult there's less budgets for touring people have to be a bit tighter and if you're older as well it's tougher now i'm a foodie like you guys (laughs) (laughs) you know so the thought of being in wolverhampton not getting a yeah sheffield on a tuesday night uh, 
20 in the morning people. or my croissant then that might be an issue these days it's not a sourdough croissant you're not bothering I mean touring with aliens was when you're sort of waking up in a travel lodge and having breakfast in Esso it's just like this isn't for me anymore when, yeah. when, so when did you wrap that that side of things up that was we lasted a couple of years miraculously because it was crazy it was crazier than the beer band because Gordon's had a crazy energy um chaos out of chaos <laughs> so we lasted a couple of years we did some I think we did some good tunes but it was tough as well Gordon um, is yeah he he's difficult to pin down right so um, he's I love him and he's my best friend and all that but he's, he's really being in a band with him was chaos yeah. so uh, how's, how's he doing now what? he's good I mean he's in Scotland and he's doing music I just hope he he releases it because I'm sure it's great but he'll be, he's doing kind of electronic music and stuff. Oh, well. so, but it was, but it's like you say, actually, I, I think people don't realise potentially how different the music industry is now. I mean, even from when I was in a band, but there used to be money. Like, they would just yeah. throw money at stuff. And yeah. I just don't think that exists anymore. Even to be in the studio or to have some time or residential studios, hardly any left. And yeah. all of that, which is, it definitely changes it. I remember, you know, we were in the second record recording in, town and we were always said we never do that oh, i never want to record in town and but then you have to because yeah. there's there isn't anywhere else to do it unless you want to go to fucking rockfield or something which yeah. is a shithole in wales <laughs> um, you know, with a lot of history yeah How did you feel after that? Were you kind of lost, or you were happy, or you were? What was your? I was, I was pretty happy for the the aliens had ended because it was it got more and more chaotic, and then when we ended it, it was a relief. But there was a sort of right. I've been putting this off too long. I need to try and get into the film world one right. way or another. So I'd been tentatively trying throughout the beta band and the aliens. But this was like, right, I'm going to make a film. I'm going to make a short film. And um, I just started asking around people, meeting up with mates and saying, do you know anyone in the film industry? I'm try you know, and just sort of trying to get a foot in the door. See, that's so much better. He went in, right, I want to make films, goes and gets into film. I just had a freak out and went to work in Starbucks. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere. Yeah, that was my no, was your was <laughs> yeah. working at fucking Starbucks just to pay the bills. But that's but again, you were just like, right, I'm going to go and do it. And uh, yeah, but it was tougher. I mean, it was. But hang on, sorry. So you recorded a sort of casually, informally made EP, and then you got signed like that. And then you decide to go into film and you make your first film starring Michael Fassbender. Can you, do, you, do you want to open a restaurant with us? And see, yeah. how, see how that goes? Golden um, Touch. Uh, yeah, it's a mixture of lucky breaks. And I think when people try too hard and want it too much, it can become a problem. Like these people that really wanted to be in bands in 96, 97 would start dressing like they were in bands or yeah. start trying to do things that would that were not you know uh, whereas we were sort of so relaxed that we didn't really care so that when we went in we kind of had our own sound because we weren't sort of obsessed with trying to break the industry and I think with film I got another lucky break but I'd 
the mixture between getting a lucky break, which was meeting a guy that used to be in the Divine Comedy that I was at, that shared a flat with me in Edinburgh. His mate was an actor's agent that looked after Michael Fassbender. So I said to this guy, Brian, like, let me meet your mate, let me meet your mate, let me meet your mate. And eventually said, right, we'll go for a drink. And I met this agent, Connor. And uh, I said to Connor, I want to get in the film industry. I didn't say anything else, but just, uh, you know, I've, I said, look at my YouTube videos. And it was all the videos I'd made for the beta band. And, uh, Which were funny as fuck. They were, as yeah. And the one with the um, flying carpet <laughs> thing was the... Sorry, yeah, no, so... Yeah, shit. yeah, exactly. So, um, the... Yeah, and then Connor played the videos to Michael one evening. And had you... Sorry, had you written Slow West by this point? Oh, no. Right. No. This was just sort of exploratory... This was just, I want to do something... It took me two short films before I could make Slow West. So right. I made a short film. Um, I got one day when Michael made a short film on my mobile phone. Really? And then... Called? Called Man on a Motorcycle. And uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> and then, <laughs> But I made sure that Michael had a good time making it because I wanted to work right. with him again. And then he did have a good time making it, so he said, "Let's do another one." And I, I, when are we? How long ago is this? This was, I think, it was like two thousand and nine. So he was sort of not quite. He was. He, he was produced? actually shooting. I think he was shooting *Inglorious Bastards* right. with Tarantino. So he was already. He okay. didn't have to say to an unknown filmmaker yeah. with no experience, no short films done yet. I'll give you a day. But yeah. he gave me a day wow. a Sunday. You know, he gave me a day of his time. And, uh, that's, that's pretty um, encouraging yeah it was because other people hadn't really seen any kind of filmicness in these crazy flying carpet videos mm. but he did so that really made them not, maybe not sound good but it was really good um, but a lot of people just thought when I showed film people them they were like they're a bit silly but Michael said oh they're good I'll, I'll give him a day to come up with something. Was it just? Is, is it? Tell us a bit about the, about that short film. What's the? Um, is he? Is it just? So I decided him to write. I, I decided to. I, he, I know he likes motorcycles, so I thought I'll write. Play to the crowd. I'll write something about a motorcycle list. So, and Robin used to be a motorcycle courier, and so I, my bandmate Robin. Um, so, I thought I'll I'll do a day in the life of a motorcycle courier. Um, and then I thought I've got one day with Michael so if I make the helmet dark then I could film with Robin for like three weeks and then Michael could do the helmet okay. up and stuff yeah that's cool and uh, I filmed on my mobile phone as well so, so presumably Robin's not like a 20 stone <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, I decided to film on the mobile so I could just attach it to all different bits of the bike film around London it was more it was mostly a film about London because I, I I would cycle around London with my mobile phone getting like POV shots for the film I was I kind of so it was really fun because I sort of made it really sort of guerrilla-ish over about space of about four months just filming 
like cycling around Trafalgar Square filming and stuff. And, and then, because I figured that if I made the phone into black and white and had a good sound on the final thing, then it would look a bit like a good 68mm or 16mm. And it sort of did, it looked good. And then, and no one would give me money to make any films, so I just thought, right, I'll just do it. I've got Michael for a day, I've got my mobile phone, I'll make a film. And then I entered it into loads of festivals and nothing happened. It got it got refused and rejected for about 11 months. And you're allowed 12 months to enter these films. And then right at the final, I had sort of practically given up. And then finally I just put it into London Film Festival and it got accepted. And um, it was weird because lots of the tiny film festivals in London had refused it. Right. But London Film Festival accepted it. And that was a mini breakthrough because then Film 4 came and saw it and it went down quite well. And then Film 4 said, do you want to do something? I went back to Michael. I decided to write a, a thing that with my first crew, you know, a cameraman and shot on 35mm film. It was a 25 grand budget and I got three days to shoot. And... Yeah, all, and that came together really well. It's called Pitch Black Heist. And, um, was that working with a crew? Was it, I mean, first day when you walked Yeah, that was crazy. Scary. Yeah, but, well, I'd worked with crews a little... It was actually a lot better than the crews I'd worked with the beta band because sometimes when I worked with a crew, when I was doing a beta band video, the crews were complete asses because they were like, the, what, one of the bands directing the video? Right, and, right. Like the cameraman would be all bullshit and try and tell me what to do, and ah, they were. Whereas when I walked onto the set and Michael walks on with you, yeah. you know, the crew are a bit like, oh, okay, this guy's. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had the crew on my side immediately, and I'd storyboarded and I'd really prepped crazily for the this shoot, and I'd spent about eight months writing the script. I, know. I mean, it was I'd really. It was eggs in one basket. Let's make this the best thing I could make. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's fourteen minutes long, but then it it did really well. I mean, it it was a slow start. It started knocking into festivals again, and I started thinking, why? Take it, take it, <laughs> take it. Take it. Come on! <laughs> and then it won the BAFTA, uh, and and that was good. Um, and that sort of kept everyone very interested but then to get to go from that and then you're going to make a western yeah which you know in the i mean i guess what the cohen's just did that buster scruggs thing yeah and no they did true grit i guess so the only people making westerns are the cohen's uh, yeah but they, they're, they're not at the time because they're not made, at the time yeah. really, but mm. why, why did you i mean that's pretty well, well again no it's like for old men yeah but that was like after western western that was after you know, like slow west as well horses was it yeah. But yeah. but you know that's pretty random choice. Now, but, you know, for your first, I suppose the assumption is, which I think <laughs> no I read, one no one's doing it. <laughs> yeah, but also I think I read an interview where you were saying you know everyone makes their first film as just personal, you know, write what you know kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of sort of council estates in first yeah. films as well and stuff. Even if the person doesn't know that well, well. you know, <laughs> you could have done a beautiful coming of age at art school kind of, you know. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing is that it sort of is a coming of age. For disguised sure, yeah. as a western but I just thought yes no one was making westerns I think that was the same with the beta band it's like why people 
try and do something after the fact. <laughs> you just try and do something that no one's doing, and then that will stand out. Yeah. And it did, you know. And and also, I actually thought it'd be cheap if no one gave me any money to make this. I could dress someone up as a cowboy and go to the woods outside London and just shoot it. Yeah. And it seemed to me a lot cheaper. I mean, I say this to students now because I do a bit of teaching, but it's like what the expense of shooting in with extras or crowds or street scenes, all these cost money. And there's a free, amazing thing called a landscape. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that... And that's such a huge part of the film. As yeah, well, so you just... I mean, as the script... As I got into writing the script, slowly the budget started going up and horses appeared and houses and, you know, but I tried to sort of keep the budget really low and tried to keep the the cast to a minimum. And How much did you make it for? I ended up being about 3.8 million, which is a lot for first film, but not a lot for what it ended up being. There was lots of people working for much less and mm. really a lot of inventiveness when it came to shooting building structures and shooting in New Zealand and shooting it all outside and shooting it all no studio work or, yeah. you know so houses and trading posts were being built you know and so yeah it was um, and horses yeah yeah yeah. so in the end it it was a bigger budget but it yeah again the script just took a long time to get together as well a year year and a half writing script Hi, hi guys, hi, Sam from the Kitchen's on Fire here. Um, I'm here once more to tell you about my favourite drink, our London vodka, delicious stuff, made in Hackney, from great things, in a great place by great people. You can be a great person too, like me, if you go to Magpie on 10 Heddon Street and use the promo code the kitchen's on fire. The friendly bartenders there will whip you up a delicious our London vodka-based cocktail with 50% off. You can't ask for more than that, can you? Well, this has been really great. I've loved checking back in with you guys. I uh, just want to say I hope you're doing well. Lots of love. And let's, let's just push on to Christmas, guys. Let's just push right on. But you weren't expecting that again, were you, you f***ing Uh, John, we we do uh, on the podcast we do two sort of quick fire questionnaire kind of things Mm. Uh, so I I gave guests last week a choice of which one they wanted to do first, Okay. so I'll give you the same choice so you can do quick fire or overrated, underrated or correctly rated so you have to do both but you can choose the order in which you wish to do them. Okay, well let's do quick fire Okay, let's do a quick fire Okay, the movie Notting Hill is there anything good in it? I can't remember. Can't I don't think I've seen it. You have seen it. There's a it. bit with, is it? I always get mixed up with Four Weddings and a Funeral. See, we were discussing said film earlier. Notting Hill keeps coming up in conversations <laughs> in this podcast. Is it, is it the one with the rain at the end, or is that Four Weddings? That's Four Weddings. Four Weddings. I don't know Notting Hill then. Okay. I can't remember anything about it. See, hipster filmmaker doesn't watch the classics. Like no, Notting sorry. Uh, the best meal of your life. This is the first time we've talked about food on this whole <laughs> podcast. Funnily enough, my wife's a chef. 
Wow. <laughs> we so should have talked about food. Well, we, we can. can. After the quick fire, we'll get... We'll get. <laughs> Hang on, no, we can, now he can expand oh, on me. his answer. Where, where's your wife cook? She, she makes ice cream. Oh. oh, wow. It's called, her company's called La Grotta Ices. Yeah, that rings a bell. I mean, that's your wife. <laughs> yes. Um, or, she's or, just or, done a book, an ice cream book. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. But it kind of mean through her, I've got to know the food world in London. We should have talked so about So I know food. Claire Patak, so and I know, like... The Beast Van, your movie, but we yeah. should have talked about well, your we, yes. you know, we've, got, we've got time. We've got some time. So, so Claire, we've yeah. been trying to get on here for a while. She's very unresponsive to really? emails, so if you're listening, I, Claire, Well, I was, I was chatting, I was with her last night, chatting yeah. to her, and, and I said I was coming in, and she said, oh, really? oh great, they're lovely. Oh, so there you go. That's nice of her. That's very nice. Oh, um, if she likes us that much, maybe she could apply to my emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... Best meal, did you say? Yeah. Oh, oh. I know it's a super difficult question. Yeah. But Quick a couple of ideas. I've got best places that I like to eat when I come back to London. Okay, yeah. Which is probably Silk Road in Camberwell. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and it might be like Lahore in for yeah. a curry or, you know, because I do like all the other cuisines, but I feel like they're the ones that London offer that other places don't. Yeah. Whereas... Silk Road is Stella. Yeah. Stella place. Would so ice cream. Oh. Has it, how are you not fat? It's quite healthy ice cream. It's just fruit and milk. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not like... I think if you eat Mr. Whippy, you get fat. Right. You know what, you know what food's like. It's healthy sometimes. Even if it's... I just don't let myself eat ice cream because it's like my kryptonite. I just think if I start, I won't stop. But America... Because yeah. I say this a lot, but Americans will eat like one of those whole tubs of ice cream. Yeah. They? Like, I think they they're full of... Problem. They're full of... True exactly, that, yeah. but they're full of awful stuff as well. Well, it's sugar, yeah, that's the, the yeah. corn syrup. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, Whereas, yeah. Sorry, John, what's your wife's name? Can we give her book a plug? Kitty Travers. Kitty Travers. And it's La Grotta Ices, and it's out now. Yeah, published yeah, by. Published by <laughs> Random House, is it? Or I don't know. Uh, I don't think they do. I always want a book published by Random House. Though. Yeah, I don't it know. sounds proper. Yeah. I think uh, it's available Random in House. fine bookstores everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah? fantastic. Um, we should get your wife on talk about ice cream mm-hmm. people were talking about La Grotta ice cream literally a couple of days ago there's something on Instagram I don't know um, you can get it at Lila's shop okay in Shoreditch yeah yeah excellent which is probably closest to you guys um, your favourite cheese oh cheddar <laughs> That's a solid, That's a solid choice. Everyone comes in and thinks they got to say something clever, but oh, I, like I do like cheddar cheese toastage. Or Paul Salou actually. I got back it. last. I got back late last night and um, did my favourite thing that I haven't done for a long time, which is toasted pita under the grill with a load of Philadelphia crispy, hot, spicy chorizo. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. So yeah, Philadelphia would be my just uh, stuff on top of the pita. You're not opening up the pita. No. Uh, it, I mixed it up. Oh no, I did a fried egg as well. Really? Yeah, I went no, nuts. You're just going well, nuts. Yeah. I was frying an egg. I wasn't even night. drunk. I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, who, who cooks in your house? I cook curries, but Kitty cooks the rest. Right. Everything else. Because she, she, um, she's worked in different restaurants around London. I think she started in St. John's, pastry oh, well. chefing, and um, Bocca di Lupo. Oh, yeah. That's one of your favourites, isn't it? That so, is one yeah. of my favourites, yeah. So, I can't afford to go there very often, no. but it's great. Um, so, yeah, she does. And what's but your... I do like cooking curries. I'm obsessed by it. That's your go-to? Yeah. What are your go-to books, or do you just wing it? Better no, I go... Cumin I, hair, better. Genuinely, Mada 
Jaffrey's Curry Bible. Mm. Oh, I haven't, nice. I've tried other books and they haven't delivered. Right. Let's not but, name them. But uh, and what on. is your... Uh, c- because we haven't talked about food, but we've got a bit of time. So <laughs> they, uh, what's your... Do you and Katie go out for dinner a bunch or is she... Yeah. Oh, fuck that world, having worked in it. Or? Uh, oh, no, loads. All, I mean, there's meals out once or twice a week, maybe. Because her friends are in the trade. Yeah. Then, and she's she's obsessed. I mean, she goes to Italy a lot, so we we do trips to Italy. And um, I know where you don't do trips to, which is uh, Pigeon in Hackney <laughs> and or Magpie on Ten Hedden Street. We haven't yet. Very welcome, John. Of course. Thank you. Uh, all all podcast guests get free meal at either of our restaurants. Uh, TV versus film. Quick fire question. <laughs> <laughs> no, just purely because everyone's talking about it now. Obviously, you know, um, high caliber TV. You know, yeah. What, what's your obviously your your? Do you want my opinion on TV versus film, or do yeah. you want a winner or no, a loser? No, no, no. <laughs> just what, what you reckon. Obviously, being in that, way, mm. having made a film, having I like both. I like, I like both and, TV and film. I, th- I think people have forgotten that there was great TV in the past as well. Yeah. You know, so I think there was the golden age of British television. People like. Alan Bleasdale making GBH and um, and people like Alan Clark making amazing TV and, and TV movies like Scum or like yeah. so I think that TV's always been great some I think now there's a tendency to try and make TV look more cinematic which I find slightly Problematic. I'd like my TV to be TV. Right. So I like even things like, what was that? There was a quite a good TV show a few years ago and it was, oh my God, what was it called? It's about police women up north. Happy Valley. Happy Valley. You know, that's TV. It's not trying to be cinema. Right. Mm. And, and yeah, even things like um, Mike Lee and... Uh, Ken Loach and stuff they're sort of more TV stuff you know play for today stuff and things but you like being in the world where obviously you've made one feature and working on another one now I mean is that not sort of tempting to be like oh you know Netflix streaming money I can go make a TV series and all of that yeah but it's you need to write it or a TV series (laughs) which you either need to have a writer's room it's a big commitment and you need to come up with quite a strong idea and then have a writer's room. And I've not quite... I, I read a lot of books, and some books I think, oh, my God, that's TV. Yeah. And and so I've got a couple of them that I'm trying to find the right place for and trying to talk to people. Um, but at the same time, there's something about cinema that, for me, overrides... It because of the limitations because you've got this script this 90 page beginning middle and end and you have to tell a story and I think that's quite a challenge yeah but you know TV yeah there's definitely some books I read and think this shouldn't be a, t- a film this should be a TV show and how would I get that make that work but I do like people I mean the ultimate is sort of your David Lynch sort of yeah. model where you can do both yeah. All right. Checked into that. Service station snack of choice. I know you're not on that tour bus anymore, but back in the day. 
I think it had to be like the the most healthy thing I could possibly find in a service station was like the it was like a, either a slice of cheddar <laughs> cathedral cheddar cheese and a packet of the little City. biscuits. Uh, that's quite like, high end. That is quite high end. So you'd have a classy snack on the road. A classy snack. Yeah, well, that's... I mean, they were tiny. I mean, yeah. they wouldn't even... Yeah, or mini, mini, mini cheddars, perhaps. Oh, something okay. like that. Just but standard mini cheddars? You get yeah, a barbecue, just standard. You get cheese and cheese. No, it's not definitely standard. Yeah. yeah, wise choice. There was something I was forced to do once because there wasn't anything that I liked, which was I bought a bottle... Uh, As opposed to a uh, dare amongst bandmates. <laughs> no, I bought a bag of Doritos, and they were disgusting. I had one, and it was just filth. Which so, is and you it, don't like Doritos, you saying? I think... I found it. It was one with so much coating. It felt like eating uh, a dusty. Well, like a dodgy bag. No, no. It was. That's what they're like. Some of these Doritos. Oh, if really? they're like. So lem- it's not just the nacho cheese Doritos. Okay, that's but I basically washed them in the sink. <laughs> <laughs> All of them, scrubbed them, and then put them soggy in the oven, and heated them up, and they were fantastic. Oh, see, they were like sort of Mexican uh, calf restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> And then salt lightly salted them. Fantastic. Your, did, did, did your band ever go on the road? Get uh, a transit? A bit. I mean, we'd play in Leeds a bit. and I was in another band and we had a tour of Spain. Oh, nice. I told you this last week. Did you? Yep. I had a oh, co- I probably said. That was actually the first tour Hope of the States ever did yes. in Spain. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of driving anyway, so, you know, service station... I've never washed a Dorito. <laughs> <laughs> never washed a Dorito either. What would be your service station snack of choice? Well, to be true to the quickfire, the first thing that came into my head when you asked John was the, the Dairy Lee little dunker, oh, sort of mullet yeah, corner yeah, Dairy yeah. But generally, if there's a Pret, I, or, or an M&S, I quite like the... Does a sandwich count as a snack? There was no M&S's in my day. There weren't M&S's back in the day. No. They're a recent addition They're, to the yeah, motorway okay. network of the UK. Um, there is I mean, Dorito, cheesy Doritos and a Diet Coke, probably. Yeah, putting the cheese Doritos into a but unscrubbed close knit situation. There's a service station between here and Scotland called Westmoreland. Oh yeah, yeah, Tebow. Yeah. So I, I kind oh, of uh, yeah, 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 I yeah. Love so usually it's sort of timing the journey to arrive there to avoid all the other service stations. Mm. Yeah. You they got do, a good scone there. Is it scone? Did they do pies there? I'm sure I got a pie from they Tebow. Not bad curry even there. Oh, really? Yeah. I wrote an Not article about Tebow back in my Guardian days. Um, what did you eat on set when you were filming Slow West? I think it's very important that food is of a very high standard on set. <laughs> this is what I teach film kids. Don't give people cold pizza or bad yeah. Chinese Halfway through a day of a shoot. Okay, thank you. Uh, Actually, I'll have a glass of wine if uh, if it's... If you um, shoot in London, can Sam and I do the catering? Well, uh, yeah, but do you really... I mean, for... Okay, for the short film, my wife catered. And it was... So people were very happy. And cold, because of all the ice cream. No, but she makes... Yeah. I I made a cheap gag. You did. Uh... So it was, you know, big stews and all that kind of thing. And then, uh, and for the feature film, actually, she did the Scottish bit of the feature film, and it was a lot of work. It's a lot of work catering yeah. for, for a feature film. Like, she, she just about died doing it. 
because so because yeah, you, you'd have to start prepping at four a.m. because everyone's ready for breakfast at seven. I guess breakfast you know, is so. yeah. And I suppose you guys, is some, I mean, the vast, or all of it was outside, or the vast majority outside? Yeah, so everyone, yeah. I mean, I, but the first thing I say when I'm talking about the budget and working with the producer is to get the the best catering. I like the fact so that you important. still call it catering and not crafts. <laughs> Keeping it real, John. Yeah, but uh, it's important. Uh, uh, what's your favourite beta band song? Oh, God. I actually or top three. Okay, if I love it. Said that to me about my band, I'd struggle. So um, I love Intermeet Me. Yeah, because that was the that was the sort of we were kind of our full powers then. I think it we was. Kind of, it was. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I've said enough. But I, I mean, I would go to our price in Chester when there was still our prices yeah. and when you still bought stuff on CD and buy it take a Discman score and turn up to school it because I was listening to that stuff yeah you know that you didn't sound like anybody else yeah and in a meet me it's quite if you if somebody hadn't heard heard you guys you could play them yeah and, say, and it was this is them and it's sort of it was fun to play live and it was a good live song and the audience loved it so it was kind of yeah I would say in meet me I'll accept that. Choice. That's not my stomach, by the way. That's no, a water that, cooler. That is very much what my stomach sounds like most of the time. <laughs> uh, and the final one on the quick fire, and then we'll move on to overrated, underrated, critical raises. Right, you were told that you have to have one of these films on your CV. Okay. Okay. So yep. you made this film. Yep. So you made Slow West. Yep. And then you followed it up. Your yep. sophomore feature. Yep. Is either the Emoji Movie. Right. Or Rambo Two: First yep. Blood, Part Two. Yeah. Rambo 2, First Blood Part 2. Really? Yeah. Going for a big, and I could, racist, crazy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can I name drop? Am I allowed yeah, to name drop? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. Um, so I got a call. From Slice to Fame. Yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to uh, a Slice Alone project. And I had to fly to LA and have lunch with Sly. No way. One-on-one. Yeah. One-on-one. Oh, right. Right, that's amazing. I've nailed this. So on the Thursday, no, on the Monday, I was in Peckham with a broken push chair and my kid on a rammed bus. On Wednesday, I was in the Palm in Monty, whatever, in downtown LA, um, having lunch with Stallone. And by Friday, I was back in the, on the bus in Peckham with <laughs> a kid in the broken wheelchair. So you made the wrong decision. Tell me what Sly said. Sly was great. I really liked him. He he ta- he started. I didn't because pro- I grew up in a small town in uh, Scotland where the video shop had about ten videos, and and one of them was Rambo or yeah. First Blood. So you know, I grew up with Die Hard, RoboCop, Predator, and Rocky, and First Blood as my favorite films. Yeah, um, they still are. And uh, so when. I sit with Stallone. He just, I didn't ask him about it. He just started talking about it. Oh, yeah, and Rambo. Yeah, our cameraman broke his leg. Our steady cam operator broke his leg. And on the first day, we had to, someone else had to uh, pick up the camera and just shoot it. And it was chaos. And, you know, you know, and it sort of brought it all down to reality of you don't think these films were made. You just think they came yeah, into creation. Totally. You know? So it was Burst. kind of funny to think that, uh, oh, my God. That was interesting. So, yeah, Rambo. So is there any income of this lunch? Uh, we both agreed 
separately, the, the script wasn't good enough. And we both passed. Nice. I tell you what, whatever script it is, if Sly Stallone calls me up, lunch at the palm, Sly, exactly. I'm in, whatever this garbage yeah. is. Yeah. So was his his line was, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I know a director I want to work with. I think there was a producer that they were looking for a director for the project, and producer loved Slow West. So the producer showed Slow West to Stallone, and Stallone was interested enough for a meeting, flew me out, had a meeting. And did that film get made? No. Not yet. Creed but that's, 3. You'd be great for Creed 3. I thought Creed's... I haven't seen Creed, but everyone says it's a pretty bloody good movie. Yeah, it's, it's good. In that kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, And he's good in it. He wasn't... He wasn't as weird looking as I thought. He was actually... <laughs> I thought, God, if I looked that good at 70 you, odd... Did you like message a bunch of your mates like, <laughs> guess where I am? <laughs> you couldn't not. I've been dining out on it. Yeah. It's my. That's amazing. That's so, it's my I, one I, Hollywood I could, story. I could have picked a hundred different films for yeah. which film do you want on your CV? You but can't, say, you can't say it's a one Hollywood story after you said, yeah, sometimes I just pop around Michael's, we'll have some beers and discuss <laughs> some ideas. Yeah, and True. one of the questions that I didn't put on the quickfire is, you know, how big is his dong? Because I call him the big dong droid. Yeah. That's uh, CGI I'm, for you. I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> Huge CGI budget on shame. <laughs> Underrated. It is very underrated. People don't give me the credit I deserve for these wonderful no. questions. I do, though. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, sometimes you go, what the fuck was that question? Well, I'm honest. I'm an honest critic. Uh, John. I keep almost taking this to drink. So just... <laughs> <laughs> it's to get rid of the kimchi smell. Yeah, it is. Uh, overrated, underrated, correctly rated. Star Wars. Underrated. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Okay, why is Star Wars underrated? Perhaps not Star Wars, but I think some films, maybe not Star Wars. Star Wars is on the border, but I would say films like E.T., Jaws, and the first Indiana Jones are extremely underrated. I think they should be in the top 20 films of all time, and there never are. And why is that? Because they're seen as sort of entertainment. Sorry, why do you see them as being that? Because they're so crafted, impeccably crafted, the way Spielberg shoots them the choice of camera angle the, the tightness of the script um, but films with big entertainment seem to sort of not be forgotten in, in amongst the more kind of Tarkovsky's and Bresson's yeah. but um, so I would, I would sort of go a little bit Star Wars is kind of should be there too in that because it's even though it's heavily borrowed from Kurosawa and all that, it still created something. Someone actually had to create that from nothing. Yeah. And the fact that you could have somebody with Star Wars, when he showed the first cut or whatever to Coppola and Scorsese, yeah. and, and it just had World War II dogfights in place of the special effects. Yeah, it was laughed and, at, actually. And they yeah, laughed at, apart from Spielberg. Yeah. He said, this film's going to make $100 yeah. million dollars or whatever yeah. it was at the time. So it's, it's visionary. It's and, visionary. Yeah. So yeah, kind of. I mean, it gets all the other <clears> stuff. It gets the sort of 
referenced all the time and all that, but some of these films need to be bumped up to the best films ever list. Along with Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas. Yeah. Classic. Um, sorry, I listened to a podcast with him today, and he's a very personable guy. Is he? Yeah, and didn't realise he had to fight to get in these films. Like, he wasn't a sort of choice to be a film star. And the only reason he got a foot in the door was because he was a producer on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, is that right? And then, yeah, and then... There we go. Big yeah. Michael Douglas story. Uh, overrated, underrated, correctly rated, Scottish food. Over... It's a tricky... That's such a broad question. I mean, in one sense, it's overrated. I think the haggis is underrated. The haggis. I would, the haggis. I would maybe eat it once a week. I actually right. went to look for it last week and couldn't bloody find one. Oh, really? Yeah. When um, is when is Burns Night? That's the fourth of January. Yeah, is it? Twenty sixth, twenty sixth January. Yeah. So um, I'm sure they have it in the supermarket in Chai actually. Max Sweens, you can't find that yeah, in the freezer Sweens, somewhere yeah. in Iceland. Max Sweens, no, you get them in the big waitros. I know have, this now, but you don't get them anywhere else. Have you been really? up to Broadway Market of a Saturday and had uh, one of the Denny's? Is uh, it Denny's uh, Haggis Toasties? No, change your life. Great. Sweet. I mean, I think people have. I've tried artisan haggis, and it's one of those products that McSween's is actually probably the best. Mm. But um, as far as other Scottish food, like Scottish people, like when I go to dinner or when I go to restaurants that are not that are kind of old school. They tend to cook things for a long, long time. Yeah. There's like a food phobia there or something. So they'll cook a <laughs> carrot for about three hours right. and kill it. So, yeah, there's, it's, it needs to, it's starting to, there's a revolution now, I think, actually. Yeah, even so the places are good. Yeah, yeah. So there are, they're starting to use the products of the land again, which is amazing. Uh, I think Cullen Skink fish. might be in my top eight soups. Yeah, oh God, yeah. yeah I like top three. Skink. And it's yeah. so easy to make as well. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I might put down a Cullen Skink at the weekend. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> Anything with added cream, I'll you're be there. Yeah. I've suddenly started cooking, I, I cook sort of like spicy Chinese food for ages and I've suddenly gone really old school. So mm. if, if it's got cream in it, I'm not kind of on board. Yeah. Which is why I've maintained this. And you can't, you can't go wrong with a Cullen Skink. Oh. Nah. Yeah, yeah. I want, my, co- my feet are still cold. Crunchy Crunchy that's yeah. good. Skin. I think I put it on notes for Magpie, but we never sort of oh, found right. a way of doing it our way. Yeah. That'd be cool. Uh, overrated, underrated, correctly rated popcorn. Um, it's correctly rated. I mean, especially the sweet and salty sweet mix and salty that I've got into. But I used to work in cinemas. Oh, did you? So um, I worked in a, a cameo cinema in. Edinburgh, and then the Gates Cinema in London. And the Cameron Cinema in Edinburgh had a popcorn machine that you had to cook the popcorn in. Oh, wow. Which was... Cra- it was like a sort of crazy machine that no one liked to clean. And if you didn't switch it off when it stopped popping, you were in big trouble. It would just burn... Just catch fire. Abs- and catch fire, <laughs> and then create this black... How many cinemas acrid- did you burn down? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, there was a lot of burning the popcorn in uh, during my time in, in the cinema before they brought in these big industrial bags of yeah. crap popcorn. Um, overrated, underrated, correctly rated? Ponchos. I've seen you in a poncho back in the day, John. Yeah, true. Um, it would probably be seen as cultural appropriation these days. Yeah, I think 
I think they're correct correctly rated because I saw a guy in a pon a fashion poncho yesterday when I was going through town and it didn't I thought that doesn't work. Yeah. If you're on a magic carpet, fine. Exactly, but But. fashion poncho on on it just and he, I'm sure he he was really self-conscious. I think as he well. would be, wouldn't you? So I, he didn't seem comfortable with okay. it. Noel Fielding rocks a poncho, doesn't he? Does he? Yeah, yeah. he should grow. Funny enough, about Noel Fielding and flying carpets. He, I remember he came. I was DJing once in the very early days of the Beta Band, and he came up and said, "I'm a massive fan of your video, the flying carpets one." Oh, really? And then they stole that for and the booth. Stole it for the mighty booth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you'll be a, yeah, very mighty booth. You know, somebody's going to sue somebody. Yeah. Um, Ridley but I really Scott. Liked Ridley Scott. Oh, I think. I think I would almost have to go between correctly and underrated. Really? I don't think. I think. Fight on this, John. Okay, no, I can explain because you'd have to say film by film. For sure, yeah, but I'm. I'm I mean, uh, he, the first Alien script is underrated. I think it's one of the best scripts ever written, and when you read the script as written, it's a work of staggering brilliance. Yeah, and I always give it to students because it's so economical. It's like he sits, he stands, he walks. He picks up a cup. It's really like basic, but it's really it's like a haiku or something. Wow. Uh, and you've got that at one end of the spectrum. You've got Gladiator in the middle, which is kinda hammy entertainment, and then you've got Prometheus at the other end, which is not good. No. At all. No. So but Prometheus people know is not good. It's not like it's yeah, but he thinks it's really good. He keeps banging on about all this shit about the engineers. Yeah, but the trouble is, that was his comeback film in a way, and he enjoyed making it. I know that for a fact because right. Michael was in it. Yeah. So sometimes when you make films, half of it's about what the audience think, and you're leaving this film for people, and the other half is actually when you're making it. Yeah, and he really enjoyed making it. So. That's probably enough for him to like the film because he enjoyed yeah. making it. And also, a lot of these people, once you get to that level, even Tarantino, but you sort of, there's not enough no men, totally, women. Yeah. Mm. I actually replaced, so, the original question was on the overrated and underrated was Tarantino or Ridley yeah. Scott. I'd say Tarantino is overrated. But his films are entertaining as far. They are, but someone needs to tell him. Someone needs to say he Cut. needs a collaborator. Or he an needs, editor. Yeah, or a writing collaborator. Didn't he write Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs with Roger Avery or someone else? Oh, right. And when they split up, that's when things started going wrong. You need someone get to three hours that tells you no, and I don't think he's got that. So in the end, you get and and your script for Slow West and the new film is that is that just you or are you in collaboration? Or? No, I'm in collaboration with a script editor okay. that I couldn't write without. Because it's so. super economical, isn't it? Slow West. It's not you know it's not huge swathes of dialogue. And yeah, and and like I mean, I slag off all these films, but I can equally slag off Slow West, you know, because it's it's got its problems. But uh, it was a first film, and I was learning. It was the first script, but. Um, 
I learned not to be slow in the title of a film. <laughs> if you want people to go and see it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I learned economy from watching films I love that are economical. But know. it is uh, often, you know, often first things are sort of bloated and, you know, people say editing's close to godliness or whatever else it is, but slow West feels quite economical yeah okay here's the thing with Prometheus perhaps when you're writing a script you go through a phase where you're writing ideas then you go through a middle phase where you're writing grand concepts like like this is about the birth of man and the you know then you you keep writing and you get simpler and simpler until you're back to John Carpenter you're back to like some people, I think Prometheus, he just quit too soon. He quit in the bit that it was all about the yeah. big things. And I get annoyed when people think a film's intelligent because people see intelligent things in the film. Right. So films like Ex Machina, yeah. Prometheus, when a character is going, the world is never old. What is, <laughs> you know, the population, you know, like, yeah. you know, and they're usually shouting it. It's usually a guy shouting it. You know, no, the world is, you know. And you mean you didn't like Ex Machina? It's not that I didn't like it. I just think that some, and I find this with Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Is that some oh, directors, some directors try and, I'm more annoyed about audiences thinking that they're more intelligent films because the people in them are saying intelligent things. Yes, right. Whereas it's harder to write something like Rocky or like where people are actually saying quite daft things. Mm -hmm. But because it's it's actually quite easy to write a character pontificating about the nature of the human world insects and locusts and destroying a planet and then we'll move on you know it's like it's For all sure. like it's easy yeah that's but it's it. actually quite hard to write i love you or i hate you you know because for some reason that's like the next level you get to after you go through all that stuff yeah that's that's a fair observation it's quite well sent up on on a regular basis i sam and i watch a lot of um or used to watch uh, a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and they've always got a good line and there'll be some storyline where Charlie becomes some sort of genius and uh, Sam, do you remember the one when Charlie's the mailman and he stands, he's he's um, in the basement of some massive corporation and he thinks he's got to the bottom of this unbelievable conspiracy because there's uh, there's there's this guy called Pepe Silva and Pepe Silva's on all the mail but he's been through the entire organisation he can't find this guy Pepe Silva he does this amazing speech and it's never spelled out but the joke is that he's he can't read and it's just Pennsylvania <laughs> that's, that's why it's on all the letters I don't recall but, it but yeah this yeah. is just on the back of John saying it's very easy to write something that makes someone sound unbelievably intelligent and covering big themes and then it seems profound it's harder to write I love you I write I love you to you a lot. But yeah. A lot, yeah, it's regularly. It's hard to say I love you. <laughs> um, okay, we got one, two, three, three to go. Um, dessert. Uh, underrated. I mean, it's. You've got to say that because yeah. you miss Oh, no, no, I'm a huge fan of dessert. Okay. I mean, I have to eat something sweet after every meal. Really? Usually chocolate when I'm on, on right. my own but if I'm in a restaurant yeah, I just need I need that 
is necessity. I like chocolate actually, like a little bit. I could happily not have dessert a lot of the time. Yeah, have cheese or something, but I like a little bit of chocolate before I go. You know, yeah. To the end, I like end chocolate stuff. and red wine. Yeah, me too. Of an evening. Yeah, of an evening. A boost. Can I throw one in? A boost. Yeah, <laughs> like a boost. No, no. This is a question. <laughs> I, say, I like a boost. No. With my red wine. You, uh, did you get money from boost for no. saying things like this? I mean, every just week. if you get the right answer, then what, boost overrated, underrated, correctly rated. The bar, the, the yeah. chocolate bar. Yeah. Um, it's been a while, so I would say it's correctly rated mm. because it's not. Gen- there's nothing genius about it. Okay, it's well, not but, like but you do we're miss not. A boost, it's don't not. You? There you go. That was. The, I just knew I had one on my desk. Praying him to go. Yeah, Boost's my favourite bar ever. So you work for Boost, so you have to sit. You have to do this. Yeah, no, there's a silly game. joke. Did we explain the joke in last week's episode? Oh no, we didn't. Actually, there was a it's joke. Uh, I told a stupid joke about someone going into a newsagent and saying, "Can I have a twirl, a Boost, and a topic?" And uh, the news agent does a twirl, says, you look great today, and then says, Brexit. Um, and then last week's guest, Sam, said, overrated, underrated, correctly rated, topics. And Oh, so sorry. And oh. after telling this joke, the guy we share an office with gave me all three chocolate bars as a reward for my hilarity. And last week we gave our guest a topic because ah. they said it was underrated. Topic is underrated. Mm. Uh, see, everyone just wants topic. Right. Yeah. Topic, if you want topic to get is touch, underrated. We'll take some A finger of fudge is underrated as well. Yeah. It's just, just enough. I don't, I don't rate a finger of fudge. No, it's just so that's enough what my mum used to tell me, but I was always like, can't I have a Snickers? No, you can have a 10p finger of fudge. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm a big fan. I was going to say I'm a big fan of a finger of fudge. <laughs> <laughs> you just did say that. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> that's the um, right, two to go. What do I end on? Two big topics. Overrated, underrated, correctly rated. Okay. Okay, I'm, I, okay I don't want to end on one of them, so the one I'll do first. The Beta Band. Overrated, oh. underrated, or correctly rated? Um, it's yeah. funny because the beta no, band yeah. shares something in similar to Slow West that I've discovered reading social media. Okay. We're both overrated. It's one thing can be both overrated and underrated. <sighs> can it like when I when I look at the Twitter feed, if I type in Slow West, it's practically what an overrated film. What an underrated film. What an overrated film. What an underrated <laughs> I don't know how a film can be overrated and underrated for for people. Yeah. But it's nice to be in a position where you make stuff that's simultaneously overrated and underrated. Yeah, that's all I'll say about, about it. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of feel the same Have about I avoided when, the question? Uh, when, no, no, when no, you no. read reviews of the restaurant and yeah. it's like if someone says, Oh, that was horseshit, I'm like, What are you on about? This is not there's no way this is restaurant is horseshit. But at the same time when someone goes, I just had the best team in my life, this is the best restaurant in London, I think. You, what yes. are you on about? Oh no, you don't know. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you're exaggerating there. So okay. just, just aiming for a dull middle. That could be the sequel to Slow West. Yeah. Dull middle. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and the final and this is a huge question. Overrated, underrated, correctly rated. Sausages. Under. Underrated. Yeah. I'm a big fan of sausages. What's your banger of choice? <laughs> it's definitely a chipolata. Really? You like yeah. a more of a narrow I don't sausage. like the big fat You're not ones. looking for girth in your sausage. No, no, a chipolata. And something that's maybe okay, I've got two. One would be a beef chipolata. Beef, but All like right. a proper butcher's chipolata. Yes, yeah, proper yeah. beef, 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 <laughs> butcher's <laughs> chipolata. Secondly, I went out with a girl a long time ago whose 
dad was from Goa, and she used to bring back Goan sausages, really? which is I don't know. No one's ever heard of them. Yeah, I and like they were really amazing. But basically, you put half a you put a pint of water, potatoes and carrots, and the Goan sausage chopped up. Right. And the Goan sausage f- makes flavours. Uh, okay, right, so you right. sort of boil it and it flavours the whole dish. It's totally delicious. I suppose it's a bit like... I suppose because Goa was Portuguese, Portuguese yeah. that it was maybe more like a chorizo So it's style. got like chilies and whatnot. Yeah, it? spicy. Oh, nice. I'm into that. So Goan sausages and and steak butcher chipolatas. Beef chipolatas. I think Heston's got on the with English mustard. That's what I had in my head. Heston, uh, Heston four spicy going chorizo sausages. Going right. Okay. I knew I'd had yeah, a going yeah. sausage. I think sausages are best served nice. in a bun with English mustard. That's it. Yeah, good shout. Uh, Chant, <laughs> well, you always tease me when I want to do sausage and mustard on the menu. That's because James is saying any menu for any restaurant we've ever done or anything we've ever done actually. So anyway, we could get what you do right is you get a, a little pot of English mustard and a sausage. That's it. That's his menu idea. Bar snack. I'm there. Bar snack. I'm there <laughs> for the ages. Um, just poking out the top of the mustard. Pot. Yeah. I just love the uh, image. John, thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you. you for responding to a random Instagram message. It's been an absolute yeah, no. pleasure. Thank you for your Thanks, time, John. And uh, can pleasure. you get your missus to send us some ice cream? <laughs> yes. The trouble is about oh. sending ice cream. Mm. There's yeah. a bit of a problem there. Unless you you've courier. Courier, iced courier, or iced van. I mean, it's going to take some effort on your wife's part, but you know, I feel like we. I think maybe the couriers that do the the blood, yeah, blood transfusions. They have ice. Blood wagons. They have. If you see one passing the house, you could like fill up the uh, (laughs) delivery thing on the back. It's not delivery, is it? But uh, the yeah. Uh, Thank you very much, John. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers. 